Kids, yes, first through fifth grade, yep. You can head out over to the Children's Center. Middle school and high school, you can head down to the youth room. I think they're doing that down there today, yep, so. Such great kids, they wait until we dismiss them. <laughs> How are we doing, church? Good? God's good. God is good. Um, some of, uh, a couple of people have asked me about the uh, Advent candles um, and, uh, you know, been disappointed that we're not lighting the Advent candles. So I just give you a heads up, like we're saving that. So that's coming. So um, that matter of fact, Christmas Eve, that's, we're going to light all of the candles Christmas Eve, and that'll be basically our service uh, that evening, just kind of walking through that whole story together. So, so anyway, so that's why we're not doing it each Sunday before heading up. Um, so, but uh, just let that build anticipation and excitement for those that really love that. So it's, it's coming. Um, it's a good tradition. I think uh, last week you started this three-part series on embracing winter, and, and uh, you know, wind, winter can sometimes get a, a bit of a bad rap. Uh, some of us love winter, others of us don't really appreciate winter much, uh, but winter can oftentimes uh, be seen as a, a, a time that is a season that's uh, kind of depressing and, and, and lifeless, right? It's just kind of like, ah, I just can't wait till spring comes, right? And, and uh, we, can, we can often look at winter as something that uh, we, we just want to skip over, right? Uh, whether it be the uh, natural seasons in our, uh, in our creation or whether it be the, the seasons, our spiritual seasons, the personal seasons of winter that we walk through, uh, it, it's, it's oftentimes something that uh, we wish wouldn't happen. We could just rush through it. But there's much important stuff that needs to be done in winter, and, and winter is an important season, uh, both naturally for creation, uh, it's, a, it's, it's important that, that things die, <laughs> that, that needs to happen, that, that's an important aspect of winter, and it happens, you know, as that sun uh, drops lower and lower in the sky, and the warmth uh, escapes the earth, and things get frozen and hard and difficult, and and, uh, but it's important that death comes. Uh, it's also important uh, that, you know, we actually see that there's some opportunities in winter that aren't there uh, in other times of the year. And that's one I want to look at today. Uh, this reality uh, actually was uh, in conversation with, uh, uh, with, or actually was reading uh, um, a Download or a writing that Jessica Christian had written uh, back in October, I think it was, maybe it was in November, and she had shared it with me, and, and I was reading through it, and she talked about this, this image that she saw, saw of uh, looking out of, her, uh, out of a house window and a little girl standing by uh, a fence, a white picket fence, and then uh, a, an open landscape, and then the sunrise coming. And, and uh, in, in the writing, she comments how there was nothing blocking the view of that sunrise, uh, that uh, there weren't even uh, corn stalks to block the view. And, and it just sparked in me as I read it this week, this thought that the reality in winter is that 
actually sometimes our vision becomes more clear. I even think of my own house, and I've uh, talked many times about my uh, back patio and how I love to sit out there, and I've got this view of, of Mount Shasta, but that view in winter expands. Uh, matter of fact, in winter, when all of the leaves fall all the, off of the oak trees next to my house, I can see uh, Mount Lassen as well. And so there's this reality in winter, as things die, that actually our vision can begin to expand. We can begin to see things clearer. We can see things that we couldn't have seen beforehand. We couldn't see them in the, in the summertime. We couldn't see them in the fall. We couldn't see them when the, uh, the growth was at its greatest and there was a, a, har- a great harvest to, to, to bring in. So in winter, because of death, we are able to see the debris that exists in the soil of our lives. It's in uh, uh, the time of winter that the things that are broken in our life are exposed I think about, you know, uh, even, you know, a, a broken irrigation line, how, how much easier it is to fix that irrigation line in winter versus in the midst of the growing season. When, when vegetation has kind of died out and around and it's kind of moved back and off and kind of opens up that valve box if you need to get to it, right? It just makes things a little bit easier and, and it also helps us sometimes to see the things that are broken that we weren't able to see before because of the vegetation all around it. In essence, winter is important because we can see these things. We can see the debris that needs to be removed. We can see the things that are broken, and we can more easily clean and fix them. This morning, I want to talk about a theme that has been coming up a lot in my own life over the last month or two now, and it's the theme of purification. I've sensed the Lord speaking this to me, but I've heard it from so many other Christians who I love and know and care about and and interact with that this seems to be something that God is calling his church into right now. It's a, it's a time for us to purify ourselves. And this morning, I want to take the opportunity to, to dive into that theme a little. And I want to look at it in two different ways. One, I want to consider the purifying of our own, our own hearts that needs to happen But also, the other side of that is that we also need to make sure that we're using purified materials when we're building on the foundation of Christ. We're going to start in Deuteronomy this morning, chapter 5. This is the chapter uh, with, of course, the uh, Ten Commandments, right? We should all know this and have memorized it, right? Not, right? Um, I've got it on the screen as well, at least a portion of it. And so I just kind of want to go through this because this is where it starts. 
Purifying our, the soil of our heart, purifying our hearts starts with this recognition of what God has called us to. The first four uh, commandments in the Ten Commandments are dealing with our relationship with God. The last six are dealing with our relationships with each other. And so we're just going to zero in on the first four because uh, having a pure heart means that we are worshiping God alone. So it's Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 5 and following, and we'll kind of just walk through this a little bit at a time. It starts with, with uh, excuse me, verse 6 and following. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. It starts here. God says, you know, he came in and he, he brought the Israelites out of Egypt, but he's also through Jesus brought all of us out of the chains of slavery to sin. And the, re the reason he did that was because of his deep love for us, that he had created us for so much more, and he wanted us to recognize and to step in and to live in that more. And so Jesus dies for us so that we can worship him and him alone. You shall have no other gods before me. It's Jesus only who we serve. It goes on, it says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." He goes on to say, you shall have no other gods, but understand this, you shall also not worship creation. That is not the God that you worship. Creation is created by me. I am God. I created. I am the creator. Don't worship creation either. You are to have no other gods. It's just me, and it's include, doesn't, that doesn't include creation. He goes on in this next uh, commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold you guiltless who takes his name in vain. Here, I think this commandment is about the fact that God knows our heart. There is no playing games with God. We can't just kind of like stamp God's name, you know, whenever we you know, feel like it's appropriate. He knows whether or not we are worshiping him and him alone or whether we're just trying to, you know, kind of get some of the, 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 the fun stuff, the juicy stuff, the, the happy stuff, the fire insurance stuff, but not really worshiping him. We can't play games with him. He knows. He knows our heart. Don't play games with him. Don't pretend like you worship him when you don't. And then the final commandment is a, the, the commandment about a Sabbath. He says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as your Lord, your God commanded you. This goes on to talk about how this reality that we are to uh, recognize that our provision comes from him. The point here is that, no, we worship God alone, not the creation. We're not going to play games with God. We have to really worship him, and we can't worship ourselves. It is not because of our hard work that we have all the things we have. 
Take a day to remind yourself of that. Take one day a week and stop and go, oh yeah, it's God. He's the one we worship. This, uh, these first four commandments, in some sense, I think, are summed up in Matthew 5, verse 8, in the, in, the, in the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verse 8 reads, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This passage, this pure in heart, is understand, it, it means a single-mindedness. To be in, pure in heart means that your focus is zeroed on one person, on one thing. That we live our entire life for one individual, one Lord, Jesus Christ. To be pure in heart means that he is the only one we worship. We don't worship creation. We don't worship the things of men. We don't worship ourselves, and we don't play games. We actually are worshiping God. Matthew 6, 24 talks about the fact that we can't worship both God and money. But even just take out money. You can't worship God and you can't worship God and whatever, fill in the blank. It doesn't work that way. God is a jealous God. There is no other thing on earth that you can combine with God and be it's okay. We have to root out the other things. I love this beatitude as, re, as well because of what it promises. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Those who worship Jesus only are the ones, it's not just, this is not a future see Jesus' face. This is a now see Jesus. Yeah, we're going to see him there too, but it's now. If we want to see Jesus, if we want to know Jesus, if we, all want to, if we want to understand what he's saying and how he's directing and where he's leading and how he's empowering and what he's doing, then we need to worship him and him alone. For too long, American Christians have been swept up or in some sense has just simply been dabbling with worshiping Jesus and we so often want, you know, uh, we, we want our cake and we want to eat it too. We want you know, all the goodies of worshiping Jesus and all the hope for eternity and the resurrection and all of those things, but we also want to continue to worship the things here that we really like. Understand, worship is not about singing songs to, although sometimes it can be. Worship is about what you are serving. What are, what are you living for? I think all of us need to allow in this winter time the Holy Spirit to come and examine our hearts and to reveal the syncretistic worship that we have of Jesus, where we have taken things of this world, God and country. This is a statement, God and country. Now, it's not God and country, it is God. And it is God only. 
This is not his country. This is a country, a nation of men for men. We are worshiping the God of the universe, and he has his own kingdom, and it doesn't look like America. It's not governed with a democracy. It's not uh, used, uh, you know, a free market system. It doesn't, it's not an economic structure like this world. It is totally different. It is not God in country, but we've, we've lived in that. God in politics, our, our, our political party, that, you know, Trump is not the savior. Neither is Biden. Jesus is the savior. He is the one we worship. The hope for America, if it ever is going to survive what it's walking through right now, is not the next political president. It's Jesus. God in wealth. So many of us put our hope and our, our, our safety and our security in our wealth. We have mixed it together. We're like, we want God, but we also want to be able to, well, you know, I've got to, I've got to make a career. I've got to have money. I've got to, you know, I've got to do this. How you survive in this world. Who says that? Should we go back to, you know, Exodus? Should we go back and take a look at, you know, the, the, the people have got a million people wandering the desert for 40 years. Did any of them have a job where they got paid? Every morning. And here's the, it's every morning, everyone went out and collected the manna that God had provided. We've mixed wealth, but we've also mixed comfort and entertainment. I kind of railed on that a little bit last week. But we've also mixed our traditions, our holiday celebrations. I I think we need to reevaluate how we celebrate certain holidays, maybe all of our holidays. We have to recognize how our culture has infused different things into that celebration. And it's not that all of those things are evil and horrible. I'm not saying you've got to ruin your Christmas. But but I want to say this, like, why are we doing it? What are we celebrating? What is happening on Christmas morning? Is Jesus being elevated? Is he being worshiped? Is his name being proclaimed? I think we need to evaluate that. We have lived for too long with this kind of being able to have our feet in both sides, like in the eternity, in God's kingdom, but also in this kingdom. We've got to clear that out. It's time. God is calling us, his church, to purity. We've, We've mixed our lifestyles with our worship of God as well. I don't want to get too deep into this because it can get really, yeah. But let, let me just say, like, our sexual lives should be surrendered and worshiping God just as much as the rest of our life. And too many of us have gone to, too many of us have presumed upon the grace of God, knowing what God's word says, but, it's a, but thinking that somehow, well, you know, maybe, you know, what, I, he, 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 he loves me. The reality is, as uh, Scott McKnight says, and uh, I, I saw, I found this uh, quote in, in uh, actually the book 
uh, titled With by another of my favorite uh, scholars, Sky Jathani. Um, anyway, but Scott McDonald, he tells a story, Sky Jathani tells a story about Scott McKnight. Sorry, I should have found the original quote. But anyway, that he, as he's teaching his school, his classes in seminary, he always starts the class, uh, one particular class, with a question, uh, a questionnaire for the kids to student, the students to fill out. And it's all about, you know, you know, what do you think God is like? And so they go through, and it kind of gives you, gives you kind of like different choices. Is he this way, or is he this way? Is he, you know, a good God? Is he an evil God? You know, these kind of things. They kind of walk through all of this. And then a little bit later on, he gives them another uh, quiz or another uh, form to fill out that is uh, basically describing themselves. You know, who are they like? So self-discovery stuff. And they kind of fill out those, those things. And, and, and what Scott McKnight and others, other scholars, other psychologists have found is that amazingly, Jesus is just like me. The way we see and describe Jesus is often the way we see ourselves. And so the question has to be asked if that's the reality is are we reflecting the image of God or are are, are is, is our image reflecting who God is? Jesus, for too many of us, is a means to an end. Jesus in the in Scripture is there to support the way I see things. Jesus in Scripture and theology is there to, to defend my beliefs, to, to defend you know, my perspective on the world, my philosophy of the world. Again, we have presumed upon the grace and mercy of Jesus for much too long, some of us. Partly because we don't see the immediate consequences. But again, I think this is the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament. They presumed upon God's grace and he allowed them to do so for quite some time. But judgment did come. I think we need to recognize this reality that God is a good and gracious God, but he calls us to holiness. He calls us to purity. He calls us to worship him and him alone. We presume upon God's grace sometimes because we think, you know, well, someday I'll get serious about Jesus. Someday I'll really start to live it out. I'm, I'm just too young or, or this season of my life is just too hard. I've got too many other things I've got to accomplish right now. We think that, you know, that Jesus is something that uh, later on when I get my life figured out, when things settle down, when things calm down, then I'll go back to Jesus or when, maybe when things get hard, then I'll go to Jesus. But right now everything's really good. I don't want him to mess it up. But we see warnings throughout Scripture about impurity. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Another one, Revelation 3, 15 and 16, sobering words. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. 
In James 4, 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Are you a friend of the world? I know for a long time in my own life, I've, thought, I've sought to be a friend of the world. Sought to be a, a Christian or a pastor who was kind of in touch with, you know, the real world. A pastor who was, yeah, I mean, he loved Jesus and all, but he, he wasn't totally crazy. He wasn't totally out to line. He wasn't totally radical. Like, he, he recognized, the, you know, the realities of, you know, life. We are so worried about being, being labeled a Jesus freak. We are so worried about fitting into this world that we compromise over and over and over and over again. But Jesus is Lord. Luke 18, 17 Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Jesus is Lord. We have to put all our eggs in one basket. We can't have a backup plan. What if this Jesus thing doesn't work out? Well, at least I haven't totally alienated myself from the world. At least I still have an opportunity here. Well, you know, just in case God doesn't show up, I, I've got this, you know, I've, I've, been, I've been taking care of other things over here. I got this, yeah, I got this other you know, plan to take care of stuff. If, we're gonna, if, if Jesus is Lord, then he is Lord of all. If Jesus is Lord, then we, we can't have a backup plan. He's the only plan. We have to put our hope and trust completely in him. Our hope and trust for our jobs. Our hope and trust for our family. Our hope and trust for where we live. Our hope and trust for all of our future. Everything has to be put in him. In him alone. We don't put trust in ourselves and our ability to work our way out of this. We don't put ourselves, our trust in this world and, and in politics and in a politician. And, and we, we don't. We put it all in Jesus. He's the hope. He's the answer. He's the hope. We build every aspects of our aspect of our life around Jesus if He is Lord. He's not just an addition. He's not just a, a weekend addition of my life. He is an everyday, uh, intricate centerpiece of our life. Everywhere we go, it's Jesus. Everything we do, it's Jesus. Everything we speak, it's Jesus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He is the center. If he is Lord, then he has to be the center of everything we do. He has to be in every aspect of our life. There's too many of us that have pieces of our life that we've not allowed Jesus to have control over. 
We, we, we separated that piece out like, no, God, this is my really precious thing. I need this. This is for me. I, I, really, need, I really love this thing. It really gives me a lot of joy. It really helps. And, and he's saying, you can't worship both God and money. You gotta, it's me or nothing. If Jesus is Lord, then we should gladly live radically for him. Yeah. Just follow him like crazy. Like, he's Lord. Let's go. That's right. Whatever you want to do, willing to sacrifice it all. Sacrifice family, sacrifice money, sacrifice jobs, sacrifice location, sacrifice our whole life, including our physical life, for following Jesus. Because he's worth it. He's, he's Lord. If Jesus is Lord, then we need to seek him in all things. Every decision we make should be a decision that's made with Jesus. We have, we have like this, this, this dichotomy of holy things, holy decisions, and then the rest of our life. This is not the way it should be. Jesus is interested and he wants to be involved in every aspect, every decision. Getting up in the morning should be, okay, Lord, what are we doing today? Am I going to work today? Sweet, let's go. No? Sick day? Yeah, let's stay home. What are we going to do now, Lord? Right, seriously, like every decision, and it's not that, you know, don't get, don't get confused by, well, God doesn't always speak to me right there. Don't, don't, don't get confused by that. Don't allow that to disrupt me. I know it's a reality, but, you know, getting up and saying, hey, God, what are we doing today? Doesn't mean that, oh, if, unless he tells me to go to church or, to church or go to work, I'm not going to go. That's, that's not the point. Is that we have our schedules, we have our plans, but allow God to guide in that. He may at any moment step in and change your plans. Are you willing to do that? Are you even asking him? If he is Lord, then we seek him in all things. We think, we dream, we talk about him. He's always on our mind. Is Jesus Lord of your life. Wow, I spent 30 minutes on that one point. Wow, I'm sorry, guys. That's just amazing. God is good. <laughs> wow. Once we have accepted the Father as, as a child totally dependent on him. We also need to mature. You know, the American culture is really, uh, puts a lot of value in independence. And it's that, that, that uh, cultural perspective of independence that actually uh, tempts us to fight against our father. Earthly fathers and heavenly fathers. We, we have a desire within us because of the cultural realities around us to do it my way, to do it myself. I want to do it. Like, you know the little kid, right? You know, they're starting to get big enough, you know, and, you, and they want to help you with some project, right? You're like, let me do it. Let me do it. I, I can do it, right? I mean, it starts when they're little. It's amazing. But we do this with our Heavenly Father as well. Let me do it, God. Like, like I got this. I can, I can do it on my own. In the American Christian mindset, too often we think that independence is the goal of sanctification. We think being holy on our own 
and in our own strength is what we're striving for. But understand this, the most mature among us are those who are totally dependent on Jesus. He didn't free us from chains of sin and death in order to be independent. He freed us so that we can choose to be with him, to join him, and to depend on him completely. Too many of us are still living by and for the flesh. We are living, in essence, religious lives. We think that we reach holiness, uh, we can reach holiness on our own. That we, we don't have to ask Jesus because uh, I can do it. I, I can do it myself. I, I, I don't need Jesus. I, I, I just need to use my time and my talents and my treasures, and that will equal holiness. We, we don't want to recognize Jesus. We want to take the glory for our success. We love to be able to say, oh my gosh, look at what I did. I read through the Bible in a year. I am amazing. Oh my gosh, I am so holy. I'm so, I, perfect attendance this year at church. Look at me. I'm amazing. God is so good. Oh, I healed this. I prayed and they got healed. Look what I did. I'm amazing. Yeah, we want the glory. We want it all to be about, we want to do it our way. But that's not what he calls us to. He calls us to independ or de dependence on him. We think it's up to us to discipline ourselves in order to become holy. I've got to figure it out. I, I've got to you know, manage my behavior so that I can make sure that I live a more holy life. We seek a holy persona. You know, if behavior management fails us, then we go to just kind of like we speak like a Christian. Oh, I'm very, very holy. Jesus is a man. I love Jesus. And we have this very holy, whatever. We dress holy. Like, do you like my new shirt? It's very nice, isn't it? It feels pretty holy, doesn't it? Anyway, we, we dress holy. We, we act like a holy person. So we kind of, again, we're, but we're trying to develop it on our own. We're thinking it's about me and me being able to make that happen. And we use man-made strategies, philosophy, and philosophies. I, I got to tell you, there are too many Christian self-help books. And there's not enough Christian Jesus help books. We need Jesus. He's our only hope. I think we also too often trust the church to be our mediator. I was struck in preparation for this message by later on in Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, verse 27. I think I have it, yeah. So the Israelites, so, so, so. Moses gets the Ten Commandments, delivers them to the Israelites, and the Israelites begin, like, oh, man, you're amazing, Moses. Oh, God, you're really, you're trembling mountain. This is scary, the fire and all this kind of stuff. And so then the Israelites like, tell Moses, like, okay, Moses, go near and hear all that God, our, the Lord our God will say, and speak to us so that the Lord our God will speak to you, and we will hear and do it. In other words, it's like, we don't want to go see God. We, you just do that for us. You just mediate for us because that is really scary, and your face is, like, glowing and stuff. Stuff, and that freaks us out. And so like there's this fear of the Lord, which is not wrong. Like that's the beginning of wisdom, but the fear of the Lord that drives them away and causes them to rely on a mediator, Moses. Now this is Old Testament. And so in some sense, like the Holy Spirit had been given yet, but what happens in the New Testament? 
What happens when Jesus' death, like when he breathes his last, what happens in the temple? The curtain is torn, right? The presence of God is no longer stuck in one spot. We no longer need to have a mediator who is human to come. We have the mediator who is Jesus, which means that now all of us are able to speak to him face to face. And there's too many of us Christians today who are afraid to speak to Jesus face to face. They don't want that proximity. They don't want to be that close to him. It's scary. What's he going to say to me? What's he going to call me to do? What's he, where's he going to lead me? What's going to, well, he's going to strike me down, I'm sure, right? And so we look at the church. We look at pastors today still with a mindset that they're the mediator for me. But understand, we got to stop falling into this. This is not, the, the priesthood of all believers means that all of us not only have access to Jesus's face, but we are responsible to hear his voice and to follow his leading, each of us individually. If you are relying on me to tell you what God's will is for your life, you are missing out. You're missing out on what God wants to do for you, but you're also missing out on the amazing intimacy to be in the fiery presence of God and to know you're not holy, but then he, he reaches down and he puts his hand on your shoulder and he loves you. He holds you close. He says, it's okay that you're messed up. You're here, and that's the most important thing right now. So let me comfort you. Let me encourage you. Let me send you. Let me empower. You can be beautiful. Yeah. The reality is all of these things that we tend to lean into, trying to build our own holiness, to discipline ourselves, to make it happen, to use man-made strategies, or to trust a pastor or the church to be that mediator, they're simply wood, hay, and straw that will be burned up when the purifying fire of the Spirit shows up. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11 and following, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone works, anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as one through fire. The things of men, the things that we come up with, the things that we do, the strategies, the, the philosophies of humanity are just wood, hay, and straw, and they will not last for all eternity. And so that means the question that we have to ask ourselves is what is the Spirit doing? Is the Spirit empowering me? Is the, is the spirit involved? Is, is the spirit doing anything? Is, is he involved in my life in any way? What is, what is he calling me to? Is, is what we're doing, is what I'm doing spirit inspired? Is it spirit empowered? And is it spirit glorifying? Those are the things that are gold and silver and precious stones. Those are the things that will last for all eternity, that will survive the fire that comes. Following Jesus equals being spirit-empowered equals pure materials. Building with good works will burn. Let me say that again. Building with good works will burn up. Right is not good. Right is spirit 
inspired. Building with religious activities will burn. Pure is not religious activity. Pure is relational activity with Jesus. John 15, 5 very clearly tells us, I am the vine, Jesus says, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Does that mean that we can't plant a field? Does that mean that we can't, you know, do a good job at work and build a nice house and do all these kind of, does that mean we can do like none of those things? No, it doesn't mean that. Human beings can do a whole lot of things on their own. But in the kingdom of God, the only thing that we can do is done with Jesus. If we are doing it on our own, it's going to burn. It is wood, hay, and straw. If we are doing it with Jesus, then it is pure. It's holy. It will last for all eternity. Holy acts are not determined by what we do. It is determined by who we do it with. Holy activity is not religious activity. It is an activity that is done with Jesus. Holy actions are only those that are inspired and empowered by the Spirit. We, we, it's not just prayer. Prayer in itself is not holy behavior. Prayer with the Holy Spirit is, that is holy. Prayer with Jesus is holy. Coming to church just to come to church is not a holy action. But when we do it because we're inspired by the Holy Spirit and we do it with Jesus and for Jesus and worshiping Jesus, then all of a sudden church becomes holy. Too many of us are living our lives trying to do holy actions, holy activities, holy religious activities, but we're not doing them with Jesus. We're just doing them on our own. Holy moments are not determined by my feelings or my responses. They are determined by the manifest presence of Jesus. That's a holy moment. When he reveals himself, when he speaks to our heart, that's a holy moment. When he has our way, that's a holy moment. When he steps in and, and speaks in ways and empowers in ways that we've never seen before, that's a holy moment. We must choose to stand face to face with God. It is the only way that we're going to build, be able to build an eternal home in the eternal kingdom of God. We have to personally seek to know God. In our head, yes, words on, in God's word, but, but also in our hearts, relationally. He is not just this separated thing that's out there somewhere. He is meant for relationship. We need to personally hear Jesus' voice and be obedient to that voice. We need to personally be empowered by the Spirit. What are you doing today that requires the Holy Spirit to show up? Is there anything? Or do you just got it figured out? Is your, is your man-made, you know, creation, is it just you've got it all taken care of? You don't need him to show up at all today. It'll be all right. I'll, be, I'll make it through. We need to personally join Jesus in what he's doing. The only way we can accomplish anything of value is if we hear, follow, and are empowered by the Spirit to do it. Any great thing we do without the Spirit 
is merely building with perishable materials of wood, hay, and straw. In the winter season, with the leaves fallen and the crops dead and gone, we are able to see more clearly. In this, it is in this season that we must get to work purifying the soil of the debris that will hinder the growth of new life. We have to examine our lives and clear out any of the idols and false gods we are worshiping so that we are single-mindedly pursuing and worshiping Jesus alone. But we have to understand the ramifications of pure worship. It is not simply a spiritual exercise that only has an internal and personal impact. Pure worship means every day is surrendered to Jesus. Not to do great things for him, but to join him in the truly great things he is already doing. It is in purifying our worship of Jesus that our lives are transformed as he directs our every step, action, word, and decision. Church, this is the life we are called to. We can no longer survive by striving to live holy lives under our own power. We must strive to know the one who is holy and follow his lead. We can no longer build our house on the sinking sand of good deeds. We must allow the one who is good to inspire and empower us to join him. We can no longer rely on mediators to discern the voice of God for us. We must stand face to face before our heavenly father and listen to him speak directly to us. Then, and only then can we participate in building his eternal kingdom. This is the season. Today is the day for us to ask the Lord to reveal our idols and the areas of, our, of self-reliance in our life. Today is the day we purify our hearts and our actions. Today is the day we throw off the sin that so easily entangles us through repentance and total dependence on Jesus and a commitment to join him in all he's doing. I have felt before uh, this message um, in conversations again with Jessica Christian recently uh, that the Lord had been speaking similar things to her. And, and so in conversation with her, I have uh, felt, uh, we felt led that uh, it would be good for her to come up and actually kind of conclude this message this, uh, this morning. And so Jessica has some things he's going to share with us. And, and so uh, Jessica, um, yeah. Thank you, Pastor Sean. Good morning. I'm just going to start with prayer. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for this message. I thank you for the fact that you're speaking. Give us ears to hear. I pray that it would go deep into our hearts, Lord. Would you have your way in us, through us, in this church, in our families? And I just pray that you would put your words in me today, Lord, that nothing would come out of my mouth unless it's of you. I pray that anything that is not of you would just fall to the ground. But if it's of you, Lord, would it hit its mark? Would it touch your people? And would it make a change for your glory in Jesus' name? I'm grateful for the chance to share. Um, I don't know why the Lord keeps putting these things on my heart. And I'm grateful for your trust in me to be able to share it with our church. I don't understand what God is doing, um, but you know my journey in this past year and a half, God has radically changed my life. I've known him since I was four years old. 
but things have radically changed in these last year and a half. Um, when I came back from Dubai, I began to sense the Lord stirring in me and waking me up again and again. It seemed that he was waking me up and just downloading these thoughts to my mind of things that I spoke on when I was there um, and what he sent me to Dubai to speak about. But he just kept pressing on my heart that this is for your church too. And again, I don't know why the Lord's doing this, but I love him with all my heart. and He has changed everything in me, and I will do anything that he calls me to do. I will say anything that he tells me to say. He's helping me to overcome fear of man. This is scary to do this stuff. Who am I to be saying this? I'm a woman too. Like, it's crazy, but, but he is God, and I'm trusting him. So um, a couple of the things that keep recurring over and over and over again King Hezekiah is where it started with me. I've shared about when I was in Israel last year, I went to Hezekiah's tunnel on the first day that I was there. And as I was walking through, my friend and I were singing worship songs and I came out on the other side and my feet were healed at the pool of Siloam where Jesus healed the blind man. I don't know how he did it. I didn't even ask him for it, but he did it. Chronic pain was gone. And a year and a half later, it's still gone. And the Lord's been leading me through a journey of processing and thinking through and really been highlighting Hezekiah. Why is it reoccurring over and over again? Why do I keep hearing his name? Why does it keep popping up everywhere I turn? Um, and I really sense that he was saying there's symbolism to the place that you receive this healing. It's important to look into it. And so I began to study the life of King Hezekiah. And I went through 2 Kings. I went through 2 Chronicles. I went through Isaiah. It's you know scattered throughout scripture. And I began to see a really important theme emerging. And it really fit with the things that God had been calling me to do after I returned home from Israel as well. And so 2 Chronicles 29, um, I'm not going to read it all. I don't, I'm you know, short on time, so, but I encourage you to go read it. Um, 2 Chronicles 29, it outlines what King Hezekiah did when he came to the throne. When he came to power, Judah was in a pretty bad state. The temple had been desecrated. They were worshiping idols in the temple. The priests were encouraging it. His family was not in alignment with God. The kingdom was not in alignment with God. And God used him to restore the land. He came in. He tore down the high places that had been erected throughout the nation. He got rid of all the idols that were in the church. He restored worship and an atmosphere of worship in the temple. He brought the people back to worship. He appointed worshipers. That was one of the first things that he did. And he called for grand sacrifice for people to come to atone for their sin, to return to the Lord and to offer their sacrifices to him. And God moved. He restored the land. He restored the temple. And you've heard stories. Becky even shared a couple of months ago about what happened when the Assyrian army, you know, had surrounded and the miracle that God did in taking out the enemies, 185,000 soldiers dead overnight. God did that. And I believe it's because their hearts had been right with the Lord. They had turned back to him. Hezekiah's tunnel was built in that time. When they were surrounded by this fierce army, it looked like hope was lost. And God gave wisdom and discernment to build this temp to build this tunnel through the mountain, through the rock. And they chiseled this tiny, narrow pathway through the rock from one side to the other. It's miraculous that it worked and that it actually came together from opposite sides. But that's God, God's hand. And it provided water to feed their livestock. It provided water to be able to keep their crops going so that the Assyrian army couldn't starve them out. God protected them. 
And a lot of it was because I believe that Hezekiah led them back to restore the temple and to restore their hearts to the Lord. And I really believe that's what he's calling all of us to today. We are the temple today. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he's calling us to turn back to our first love. He's calling us to get right with him. This has been the journey that I've been on for the past year and a half. And it's been one layer after another. Just when I think I've repented of everything and that there's, there can't be anything else, Lord. Oh yeah, there's more. And he just keeps going and going. And he's so loving and he's so gracious and he's so merciful in how he does it all. But he wants none of it in us. And he's going after it with me. It's been hard. It's been grueling. My family can tell you it's, it's been incredibly intense, but it's so worth it. And every time he has me lay down the things that are holding me back, what he's giving me in its place is so much better. And the fruit that I'm seeing, the lives that are changing, and it's not just me anymore. I'm seeing it spread. And it's incredible to see what God is doing. When I began my journey home from Dubai, I began to hear the words sound the alarm. And that took me aback. I'm like, whoa, am I just making that up? What is it that I'm hearing? Like, am I really hearing this from the Lord? Am I crazy? Like, what is this? And I kept hearing it. I've heard it like five or six times since I came home. It's been like three weeks now that I've been back. Um, And I've been asking the Lord, are you speaking? Like, what is this? Are you really asking me to sound the alarm? What is the alarm? What is happening? What's going on? Why do I keep hearing this? Um, And it's been so heavy. There have been times that I've been like literally weeping in my home, like over what the Lord, his heart, I believe for our church. And again, I don't know why he's put it on my heart, but he has. And I I pray, I, I fast, I worship, I go to battle for all of you and for our families and for our nation, but he's really put my heart for all of you and to have me be praying on a regular basis. And I know God has huge things in store for this church. He has such beautiful plans, but we need to, he wants to cleanse our temples. He wants us to get right. He wants to restore for us to have the right kind of materials, you know, um, He's brought me back to Matthew 25 so many times over the past year, and I know it was preached on even recently too, but I I feel like this is one thing that's been burning in my heart that I I think is important to share again. So I'm just going to quickly read Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps as the bridegroom was delayed. They all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in to him, went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. That's a sobering passage. That's a hard passage. And I see myself in that passage. I've, like I said, I've known the Lord all my life, but I, I've been really thinking um, recently about how a number of years ago, when I first moved to Reading to work at Simpson, I remember thinking about how 
how much I knew about God. I devoured every book I could get my hands on. I was always trying to seek as much insight and knowledge, and I wanted to learn, I wanted to grow, but I was going to all these books. I was listening to sermons. I was doing all the things. That's all good things, right? Um, But I realized, I feel like I know a lot about Jesus, but do I really know him? Do I know him? And I I remember even looking at the book, Philip Yancey, The Jesus I Never Knew, you know, and I'm like, there's something missing. There's something, there's a disconnect, and I want more. Now, 20 plus years later, I'm sitting at the annual meeting, you know, not too long ago, and Pastor Sean is reading from Psalm 145, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Something has radically shifted in me in this past year and a half. And as he read all these things about God's nature and celebrating his goodness, I kept thinking, that's the God that I know. I know that to be true about him. He is those things. I've experienced those things. And it's because I've gone from reading about, depending on anointed sermons, listening to other people, and I've gone into the presence of God, and I've gotten right with him again and again and again and again, and I've laid my life on that altar. We don't have to make sacrifices anymore. Jesus paid that price, but he's called me to lay my life on the altar again and again and again and to let him burn everything away. And as he's done that, the joy that he has brought, the change that he has brought has been unbelievable. And I know he's like nowhere near done. Like I am still a a massive work in progress. My family, we're all still a huge work in progress. We're all growing. We're all still learning. There's so much more for him to do. I'm never going to get there. But the change it's making is undeniable to me. And I, my sense is that's what he's calling all of us to. He wants that for all of us. This is something that I want to share with the world. It's so incredible. I don't want to hold it in. It's changed absolutely everything. And I could talk for hours. I could talk for days. I don't have enough time for that, so I won't do that. (laughs) Um, But as I've been praying about these things and as I've shared with Pastor Sean and hearing that his heart, the Lord's been working on him in really similar areas, it's amazing to see just how the Holy Spirit speaks to different people and and shows that there's similar themes. It's it's so awesome. He's, He's speaking. He's so loving. He's so good. He wants us to get this, not because he wants to shame us, but because he wants to bless us. He wants to use us. He wants to pour out more of himself in this place. So I, as I've been praying, um, I'm, I'm continuing to hear words. I still get words that I believe are from the Lord. And again, I'm human. I can get it wrong. And so I would just say, anytime I share anything, anytime anybody shares anything, ask the Lord for confirmation. Don't just take my word for it. Don't just take anybody's word for it. We need to think for ourselves and not just be spoon fed, right? So as I read what I believe the Lord has given me to share with you, um, I pray that you would ask the Holy Spirit, what does he have to speak in you, speak to you in this? Is this for you? Is this of him? Um, So this is um, what I heard. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. In this day, I am raising up a standard. I'm raising up my standard of holiness. For far too long, wickedness has encroached upon this earth. It has increased It has now reached a point that I will no longer tolerate. I am stepping in. I am shaking. 
I am cleansing, I'm exposing, I'm refining. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This was true in Solomon's time. It is true in eternity. It is true forever. The world has lost reverence and awe. The world has forgotten the fear of the Lord. My church has forgotten the fear of the Lord. You've bowed to idols. You've become distracted. You've become complacent. You've been weak. But my children, I love you. I'm for you. It's not my will that any perish. I'm calling you higher. I'm calling you to surrender. I'm calling you to take up your crosses and to follow me, to lay aside everything that hinders you from running the race that I have placed before you. My church, it's time to arise. It's time to wake up. It's time to shine. The world needs my body. The world needs my church. Wake up, surrender, lay down your pride, lay down your intellect. There is so much more to me that I want to show you. I do not fit in a box. I cannot be contained. Allow me to open it. I will show you the vastness of who I am. You will know that I exist. The shaking is coming. It's upon you and it will intensify. I need you ready. I need you awake. Come and walk with me. Seek me with all of your hearts. I promise you in my word that you will find me when you do so. Take me at my word. These are critical days you are living in. This is a critical time. This is not the time to be asleep. This is not the time to be complacent. This is not the time to be lukewarm. Allow me to restore you. Allow me to heal you. Allow me to repair your flimsy foundations. I call you to be built upon the rock. Build upon the rock. Remove the debris. Remove the obstacles. Remove the distractions. Remove the idols. Lay them down. Repent. Turn to me with all of your heart. No more half in. No more half out. This is a serious hour. I don't want any of you to miss out. Come and get your oil. Don't wait. Don't depend on others. Come to me. Seek me. Ask me for revelation in my word. Ask me for knowledge. Depend on my spirit, and he will lead you into all truth. He will expose deception. He will expose man-made beliefs. He will lavish my love upon you. He will heal and restore you. He will make my word come alive to you. You will experience my grace, my mercy, my cleansing, my forgiveness. I am everything you need. I will not fail you, but I won't force myself upon you. It's your choice. Will you come to the altar? Will you lay it all down? Will you return to your first love? Will you turn to me? So church, I want to ask you that question today. These are all things that he's had me walk through. <laughs> he's continuing to have me walk through. So I say this to myself, not just to all of you. How will you respond to him today? Will you come to the altar? Will you lay it all down? Will you return to your first love? Will you turn to him with all of your might, with all of your heart, with all of your strength? I wanna give you an opportunity to respond. I know this can be uncomfortable. This kind of thing was uncomfortable for me all my life as well. Fear of man and all of that stuff. He's giving me a lot of victory over that and he wants to give us all victory over that.
And so I want to invite you, if you're sensing the Lord speaking to you, if he's stirring in your heart, if you want to respond yes to any of these questions, I want to invite you to stand up. Just stand. And I'm going to pray for you as you do. God, your mercy never fails. Your love is beyond our comprehension. You are so good. You are so loving. You're so merciful. You're calling us to holiness. You're calling us higher. You're calling us deeper with you. I ask, Lord, that you would move in this place, that you would touch your people, that you would bring us to repentance. Holy Spirit, would you convict our hearts? Would you show us any area that is not in alignment with you? Would you give us the courage to face those things? To not leave today before we do so. Convict us at the deepest places of our hearts, Lord, and help us to have the courage and boldness to say yes, no matter what that means, no matter what exposure that means, no matter what it looks like, because your love is good. It covers it all. I ask God that you would bless every person in this room with what you've blessed me with. I'm not the standard you are, but I, I, I want to bless them. I want you to bless them with what you've given me, an increased hunger for you, a desire to know you, a hunger to seek you in your word, to spend time with you, to hear your voice in many different ways. I ask that you would open eyes, that you would remove the blinders, that you would tear down everything that exalts itself above you. Would you give humility? Would you give surrender? Would you give us boldness and the passion to seek you above everything else? Would you have your way in this church? Would you be glorified in this place, God? We want this to be all about you, less of us and all of you, God. Have your way in Jesus' name, amen. So I just want to invite, um, if any of you want someone to pray for you, our worship team can come forward, um, and we can take time to just pray with you about any of the things that the Lord may be stirring. Thank you. We've got some other songs we're going to do in a moment, but I, I want to just uh, take a moment to close our service. Uh, will you join me in just uh, singing the praises of the saints in the throne room. Uh, she uh, quoted from that at the beginning of a portion of her uh, sharing, uh, the holy, holy, holy. We did this uh, some time ago, but let's do it again together. We just join me. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church, for being with us this morning. And again, uh, we're going to do a couple more songs. So if you need to stay here and continue to process with the Lord, then please do so. Um, our timing sometimes doesn't fit with God's timing. Will you allow him to make this decision for you? If you need to stay, then stay. 
Um, but I also, <laughs> it's okay to go too. <laughs> so don't feel pressure that you have to stay. If you feel like the Lord is leading you to head out to the fellowship hall, then do so. If you need prayer, we want to pray for you. Come forward. Please let us join you in this. Or turn to a neighbor and say, hey, help me. I need to, I, would you pray for me? We all have the capacity to pray and intercede on behalf of each of us. And so, um, but we would love to pray for you as well. So church, let's stay. Uh, those that need to continue to process and let's continue to worship in this room. And if you're ready to head out in the fellowship hall, go ahead. Please let the doors close behind you. So keep the noise out there and not in here. Thank you, church. <laughs>